So welcome everybody to this week's Enough Already podcast. This is the place where we empower consultants and coaches to forge their own path to success. I'm your host, Betsy Jordan, and I am so excited to have my friend, former client, former colleague, Brad Rex on the show for so many reasons. Brad and I worked together at Disney. We did some work for um, some nonprofit work together, and we've worked together off and on for years and years. And I had a conversation with Brad about five years ago about the reasons why consultants are hired by executives and coaches. Um, actually, let me say it the other way. On the reasons why executives hire consultants and coaches, not the reasons that we think they are, but the real reasons. And I thought I would do so much better justice to this topic just to bring Brad on the show. So welcome to the show, Brad. Well, thank you, Betsy. It's wonderful to be with you today. So let's go back in time to your career. So let's talk about your career in finance and as an operations executive and how you went from those roles into the roles that you have now. So if you can just give it like a little snapshot of your career. Sure. Well, I like to tell people I have a very eclectic background. Um, I went to the Naval Academy. I was a nuclear submarine officer, Harvard Business School. From there, I went to British Petroleum and lived in uh, Cleveland and in London with BP. I had five different jobs in six years with them. Uh, one of my jobs was uh, financial planning and being on the CEO staff. And so I knew that I wanted to kind of change from, from BP. And so we actually came as a family right after my son was born, a couple of years old, to Disney. And, and we had a wonderful time. We had just had our twin daughters. And so uh, when I got back, there was an ad for a financial manager job at Disney. And I said, what do I have to lose? I sent them a resume. They got 1,400 resumes for one job. Wow. And it just happened that uh, the person reviewing the resume saw that I had gone to business school at the same time as his boss. And so... He sent or he gave my resume to, to his boss, said, did you know, Brad? And he said, yeah, we had one class together. But he said, we're actually hiring for a higher level job, an executive job. So why don't you bring him in to interview for that? And so they did. And, and again, it was a finance job. So kind of related between BP and, and Disney. So I ended up working for Disney, moving to Orlando, Florida in 1994. Uh, I was with Disney for 12 and a half years. Uh, the first half of that was in finance and strategic planning. And then I went into operations. And uh, as, as fate would have it, I took over as the leader of Epcot Theme Park on uh, the week of 9-11-2001. I remember so that. So my second day in the job was shutting down the park for the first time in history with people in it. Um, I... I'm embarrassed to say, but uh, they said we need to open the emergency command centers. And I had to turn to one of my executives and say, where's our emergency command center? Because I had no idea. And uh, but we did that. Um, we got through the aftermath of that. We it was a great kind of growth period for Epcot. I was there five and a half years. And we opened a number of attractions and expanded the festivals. Um, so it was really, really a great uh, gig. Uh, left there to go work for Hilton Grand Vacations, which is the timeshare division of Hilton, ran all their resorts, uh, which was fabulous. You know, really tough job. You know, New York, Orlando, Las Vegas, Hawaii, just had to go visit all those resorts. 
Um, poor you. That must have been hard for you. Very hard, very hard. But uh, well, you know, but you're just doing it for the job, though. Exactly, exactly. And and uh, but no, it was a great, great job. Unfortunately, too short um, because, and we can talk about this a little bit more. Um, basically, Hilton was acquired by Blackstone. Uh, Blackstone way overpaid at the top of the market, and so they had to cut, do massive cutbacks. They brought in a consulting firm to do that, and um, and and basically my position was eliminated. Uh, and so after that, I had my own company. I actually wrote a book, uh, and and then I. What went, was the book about? Wait, hold on. I didn't know you were an author. What's the book about? It's called The Surpassing Life. Fifty-two. Oh, I remember that. Deep personal excellence, and and uh, yeah, it was actually an opportunity for me to write down all my mistakes for my kids. So they wouldn't make the same mistakes, but uh, but yeah, that was it's. I have a lot of respect for people who write books. It takes a lot of work, and 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 just as you finish the book, you find out there's a whole other part of the work you have to do, uh, which is getting the book published and then marketing it and all the rest. But uh, but then I got a call from a recruiter, friend of mine, and and she said. Well, Brad, I've got this company. It's uh, uh, private equity backed. They're looking for a CEO uh, and it's a consolidator turnaround. I said, oh, is it like theme parks and resorts? And she said, well, actually, it's death care, uh, <laughs> funeral homes and cemeteries. So from the happiest place on earth to the saddest place on earth is where you went. From Disney to death care. Yeah. And, um, but actually brought a lot of Disney and customer excellence and something we call the Share Life Multisensory Experience Room um, to uh, the funeral industry. Uh, did that for four years, uh, turned the company around, did a lot of interesting things. And then uh, came to my current role, which is I'm the president and CEO of eHome Counseling Group. We're a nationwide virtual mental health counseling company. And, oh, wow. Uh, Long before COVID, uh, we had this crazy idea that if you could take counseling to people virtually, uh, a lot more people could get counseling. They get a lot higher quality counseling. And, and in particular, we started off uh, really focusing on reducing veteran suicides. Um, and obviously, being a veteran, that was very important to me. But then we expanded from there and, you know, we now are in network with all the major insurance companies. We have a major partnership with Wounded Warrior Project, uh, which has been very satisfying. We've treated thousands of veterans with them. Uh, we are actually the primary mental health care provider for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic team. So that's very cool, Team USA. But, uh, but what happened, of course, we had no anticipation of COVID. When COVID hit, all the counseling essentially went online. Mm -hmm. and so we were positioned to, to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, these crazy guys out there who didn't have any background in behavioral health, who started this company, uh, all of a sudden people said, wow, that's a really good idea. So, um, so we've been able to see that, but, uh, but yeah, very fascinating. I've had 20 different jobs in 12 different industries in 35 years. It seems like there's a theme, though, is that in terms of like what your career is all about is it seems like there's one part of it is all about service and helping people. And the other part is all about executive leadership and, and providing leadership. That seems to be like service leadership seems to be thematically what I'm hearing through that. Am I hearing that right? 
Well, it's really a connection. You know, when I w- went to work for Disney, the whole idea of creating happiness and impacting people's lives and you know magical memories that will last a lifetime. I mean, that was unbelievable. And mm-hmm. when I first joined, one of the other executives said, you know, whenever I'm down on things and, and just tired of the bureaucracy or the administration, whatever, he said, all I have to do is go out in the park and see all the smiles on everybody's faces. And it makes it worthwhile. So then you go to death care. Okay. You say, whoa, what's this all about? Well, with that, you had the opportunity to be with people and serve and minister to them on one of, for many people, one of the worst days of their lives. And that was such a privilege to be able to help them through that. And we were all about creating a celebration of life. So Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people think about these kind of depressing, you know, funeral situations. We were really, let's celebrate this person's life. And, and it makes such a huge difference. And so to me, you know, Hans Christian Anderson said, a human life is a story told by God. And mm. we had that opportunity to tell people's stories, life stories. And it was just amazing. Could um, you say that quote again, a little bit slower? Because that one is really powerful. Yeah, Hans Christian Anderson said, a human life is a story told by God. And the interesting thing, if you look at his background, he had a horrible, abusive childhood. Uh, So for him to say that really evidenced kind of the maturity of looking back on that. But, you know, we had that opportunity. And as I mentioned, we did the Share Life Multisensory Experience Room, which is... uh, where it was actually based on the Soren attraction at Epcot. Uh, for those of you who know Soren, it's a massive screen, Omnimax screen, uh, high quality projection, audio, and a scent generator. So as you're flying over the pine forest, you smell the pine smell or the orange trees or whatever it is. So we actually created in the funeral home, we would put a huge screen on one of the walls there high definition projectors, high quality audio, and a scent generator. And now you could have your celebration of life anywhere, at the beach, off course, at the Eiffel Tower. And and so it was a reason for people to say, well, why should I have my celebration of life in a funeral home? You know, a lot of people go to hotels or restaurants or whatever. Well, now you could have just this amazing experience. And one of the things that had the most impact on me was for the veteran services. We would project at the end of the service on the screen, if you're familiar with the missing man formation. And, and so where the planes fly and then one plane diverts off into the distance and play taps. And it was just unbelievably powerful. Uh, and so, you know, being able to bring that and that type of experience to, to these uh, situations and celebrations of life. And then the third is my current role, which is mental health counseling and providing those services. So, you know, you really look at, we've got a, a massive epidemic within a pandemic when it comes to mental health. I mean, COVID has created an, an incredible situation, particularly sadly for our young people. And, and so being able to heal people, restore them back to full functionality and, and, and life, the impact on families, the, the legacy impact on future generations 
you know, if we can take care of a parent now, and so they can parent their child much more effectively, then that has a huge impact. So all of these things kind of tie together in terms of serving others and, and really allowing people to reach their, their full potential and happiness. And so, so that's what really drives me every day. And um, uh, it, it's challenging. I can tell you, you know, our, our healthcare system is very broken. Um, and, and it's just everything you read about it is, is true. Uh, and we're not providing the services people need. We're not reimbursing them correctly. So, so every day is a challenge, but when I get that, you know, five-star, I get every single review that any client writes. And I get this five-star review saying I was going to commit suicide and you turned it around and now I'm with my family and, you know, I'm just a completely different person that makes it all really worthwhile. It seems like that that's another theme is like the family experiences, like the family at Disney and that what that's what got you to go to Disney. And then around the funeral home and that kind of experience is it's really creating a celebration with the family and something that was really specific to that person. And even now, as you talk about it, I hear that ongoing passion of like people being their best selves for their loved ones seems like the surpassing life is thematically what drives you. Is that, am I hearing that accurately? It is. And it's how do people reach their full potential, their full God-given potential. Uh, and, you know, uh, one of what really drives me is that uh, there's, uh, I'm a big believer in, in faith and work and incorporating your faith into your work. And there's a great book written by, uh, Tim Keller, a famous pastor called Every Good Endeavor. And in there, he talks about, you know, we are co-cultivators with God in the garden of creation, in his garden of creation. And there's also in the Hebrew tradition, the concept of tikkun olam, which is repairing creation. Mm-hmm. And so I put the two together and I say, you know, I see my role as being a co-cultivator with God in repairing his creation. So the redemption theme is like redeeming something. That's that's the driver and being exactly. a co-creator of redemption. Exactly. And, and so when you think about, you know, creating the happiness uh, of a Disney in the celebration of life of individuals and restoring people who have a mental illness to, to their fullness, that's repairing creation and, and making it the way it should be the world the way the world should be so so that's what kind of drives me it seems like from a gifting standpoint too like you i, I don't know what your gallup strengths finders are but i imagine like restorative might be one of them you know where it's like in as a finance guy or like with your engineering kind of mindset it's like restoring things to its functionality it seems to be in your gifting realm as well am i reading into something that's not there or does that well, I, I don't have that one, um, but I, I have, for example, maximizer, achiever, uh, belief, uh, and and things like that. And so um, it was interesting. You know, I did the Gallup profile, and and it was analyzed by the, the analyst. And she talked to me. She said, um, "Companies love you, Brad, because you're a workaholic." <laughs> she said, "Because when you combine maximizer, achiever." Um, uh, was it reliability um, and and everything? She said, you know, they they will take take you and work you as much as you will let them. And so that was a big eye opener for me. So 
but I've hopefully gotten a little bit better with that over time. So this whole idea of like service redemption, bringing things back to it's not just stasis, but it's fullest potential. How does that affect the way that you lead? Well, I look at each person in particular that that I lead and say, how can I get them to achieve their full potential? And when I was leaving Epcot, one of my executives said to me, I think what really captured the essence of what I attempt to achieve. She said, you know, with you, Brad, I achieved more than I ever thought possible. And I had fun doing it. Mm, what a great compliment. And that just meant so much to me because, you know, it, I can certainly be kind of demanding boss, but I also want it to be where you're enjoying your work and, and you're seeing the accomplishment and feeling that sense of accomplishment out of it and, and achieving again, your full potential. So, uh, you know, we, we try to make it fun at work and try to you know, keep things light, but we it also, you got to take care of your customers and in our case, take care of your counselors and other companies, employers, employees, I mean, and, and, you know, those are all very important because it's not just about producing the widgets or how many sessions you do it. It's the quality with which you do it and, and the culture that you create in doing it as well. I don't know if you know this, because I've been on the recipient several times of that whole belief in people and helping them. Um, my whole career, I would attribute to a moment. I don't even know if you remember, but I got the job at Disney because of you. So my then husband at the time was a direct report of yours. And when I applied for Disney, you know, because I, I came from a nonprofit organization, they were going to pass me over and I wanted to have an informational interview. And because you had recommended me, they gave me that interview and that's how I was able to talk my way into the next step and the next step and got the job at Disney. And you were there all along as I moved into my consulting career, as I started my own business, you know, you're always been that cheerleader type of person, you know, so it seems like it extends not just to your immediate surrounding, but you seem to see everybody else as well. What gives you that broader purview of all the other people that you could help that's not just in your immediate vicinity? Well, whenever I answer my phone, I say, Brad Rex, how can I help you? And I mean it. And, and you know, I don't look at it as, well, what can you do for me? It's what can I do for you? And, and that, I think, is very important. You know, I, um, I see myself as an encourager. Okay. And I mean, I, I may have opened the door, but you're the one who went through it. And, and I like to encourage people. And it, it was interesting. I heard a definition recently and that really helped and, and it talked about encourager and it said, what an encourager does is to put courage in the people mm. in courage. And, and so the whole idea, you know, again, from the ancient text, be strong and of good courage. Okay. We're always being urged, you know, take, take it on, go for it, make it happen. And you need encouragers to, to do that, to give you the courage to do, to accomplish what is innately within you. And, and so unfortunately, too often in society, it's the opposite. It's discouragers. And mm -hmm. And I, I feel sad to see in many cases now, you know, we're seeing 
so many people being discouraged by social media and other things that uh, that that it's not they're not achieving their full potential because they they look at other people's highlight reels and say, well, my life could never be like that. Right. And, and and so I won't even try. And that's very sad. They need encouragers around them. You know, you seem like one of these unicorn type of CEOs, you know, who's got like the deep, the depth of conviction of caring about other people and actually really wanting to do right by the organization. You don't seem to be at all driven just by power or the superficial type of things. And it seems like you've always been that kind of person. Where did that come from? Like, where does your, where does your foundation around how I see people and really wanting to do what's right by the organization. Like you're the total Jim Collins level five leader. Did you develop into that kind of leader or has that always been you? Where does this come from? Well, I think, you know, if I go back, my, uh, I was very fortunate to be in a stable two parent family, you know, very kind of loving parents uh, and, and kind of had that unconditional love to begin with. And then, but, you know, also, parents who pushed me a lot. And so I think I kind of learned that and started to model that. I've always been interested in leadership. Uh, you know, that just, I don't know why in particular. Um, well, I know part of it is, you know, when you look at your entire life, uh, I was bullied extensively growing up. And, and I think because of that, that gave me two things. One, kind of rooting for the underdog uh, because when I see, when I was bullied myself, it's kind of like, I see other people like that, but then also a resiliency, uh, mm -hmm. to overcome obstacles. And, and that's, what's really required in leadership and particularly being a CEO, you have to be able to, to keep moving ahead, uh, and encourage yourself. Okay. As well as encouraging people around you. And, and so I think that was important. And then I just had incredible training. I mean, going to the Naval Academy, I mean, there's no better school in the world for leadership, getting at a very young age, you know, running a nuclear reactor when I'm 23, 24 years old. I mean, how many people get to do that and, and uh, being on a nuclear submarine? So, so all those things kind of come together and you get to see, um, how you want to treat people and, and how you want to do things. Um, you know, I, I think many leaders look at it and, and are fearful or don't take steps because they're concerned much more about money or status or power or whatever. And, and really what you see is if you aren't concerned about those things, if you're concerned about your people, if you're concerned about your customers, if you're concerned about doing the right thing, all the other things come. Mm -hmm. And so it's where your priorities. Uh, and, but I, you know, sadly see and a lot of folks like that, and, and we've seen a lot of business failures and everything else. And, and, you know, companies that, that flame out and I've certainly seen it in the mental health industry, uh, where it just, you know, people who invest, put in tons of money, didn't spend it well, didn't focus on the right things. And, and they're by the wayside now. So, you know, we always try to do the right things the right way. So, 
So it sounds like you have a combination from your background then. And so it sounds like you had good modeling and good experiences from your parents and being a, a leader on a nuclear reactor, big, big opportunities, lots of training, but then your heart and your sensitivity to people was mellowed out by the fact that you were bullied and that you see the underdogs. Like you don't want anybody to feel like that and you want to help them become more resilient. So those things kind of come together. Um, you're also very insightful just in so many different things. So part of the reason why, a big reason why I would like, I have to have you on the podcast is your insight into like that relationship between executives and consultants. You've always leveraged me in so many different ways. And we had a conversation several years ago when I was doing this little research project, when I was retiring from consulting and moving into the business I have now, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to ask my former clients, you know, why the hire consultants and coaches and I remember in this conversation, all these times that you leveraged me as a consultant, I always thought it's like, oh, it's because my OD background, you know, my Disney background. And you're like, no, 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 that's not it at all. Do you remember that conversation that we had and what you said? So, Well, I think a lot of people believe that consultants are brought in to improve the economics or the operations or whatever the business, okay? And the reality is, and I've learned this, you know, being a CEO and, and in other roles and just looking at how CEOs operated that uh, that I worked for, really a lot of the reason is more political. And, and it's more to bring somebody in. In many cases, the CEO knows what they want to do, but they want the blessing of an outside consultant in doing it. And, and so, you know, they even... I mentioned, you know, when I got laid off at, at Hilton, well, you know, when I was brought in, they said, well, this is what the consultant said to do, that to remove an entire, if you had EVP in your title, then they removed everybody who had EVP in their title. And, and so you just look at that and, and that was, and again, I, I think there's a courage issue there uh, as opposed to, you know, saying directly, well, Brad, you know, we just can't afford you anymore and, and we need to let you go. It's kind of what the consultant said we should do this. Um, but any CEO out there kind of knows if they've been around the block, for example, if you take over in a new company, uh, one of the first things most CEOs are going to do is to say, I want to bring in a consultant to look at the organization. And there's a couple of reasons they do that. One, uh, you know, they do want to get an outside perspective. They may have their own thoughts or whatever, but it's always good to have somebody to bounce things off of. But it also, frankly, buys time. Mm -hmm. And the board says, oh, this CEO is great. He's bringing in a consultant. That's a great idea. And, and then the CEO can say, well, the consultants told me it's going to take fill in the blank, 90 days, 180 days, whatever, for them to go in, do their analysis, provide their report. And so it gives the CEO breathing time with the board to say, well, you know, well, I'll report out in six months, you know, based on what I learned from the consultant. Is this conscious in the CEO's mind or is it subconscious? Um, most experienced CEOs, it's pretty conscious. <laughs> So they know like, okay, we're going to bring in the consultant. They're going to buy me time. It's going to help me manage all of these different people. And I'm going to get validation or do they, are they ready for a, a different of opinion? If the consultant comes back and says, mm, 
Oh, I absolutely. I mean, I, hopefully it's not just a, a paper exercise, but but and and hopefully they're going to point out some things that that the CEO may have missed. But if if the if the consultant is running the business really and making all the decisions, then you probably need a different CEO. Mm-hmm. And and so, but definitely if you're going to bring in and and I mean, I appreciated with you, Betsy. You know, you would be able to take a lot of my ideas and synthesize them down and make them much simpler, easier to understand. And so it's a huge value the consultants bring in doing that sort of thing. Um, and again, just being a sounding board, because one of the things you find out when you're the CEO, as I, I used to say, you know, at, when I became the head of Epcot, all of a sudden my jokes got a lot funnier. <laughs> oh, you're so funny, Brad. Oh my gosh. Exactly. You know, oh, you're and, so um, funny. <laughs> and, and a big part of that is that flattery part where trying to get honest feedback is very difficult. Yes. Uh, once you become the CEO. And so a consultant can provide that as well. They can come in and say, or they can interview people and 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 kind of give the CEO feedback. This is the way people are really feeling. They may be mm-hmm. telling this, but this is how they're really feeling. And and so it can be very valuable that way. Uh so and and I'd say that the third big area, and as I mentioned, I've been in 12 different industries. So, so oftentimes, if you go into a job and you don't know the industry well, bringing in a consultant can help you get up to speed quickly. And, and so that can be very valuable as well. So believe me, I'm not saying there's only political reasons. There are other good reasons to bring in consultants. And, and I've certainly used consultants and, and, um, uh, I would say in particular in kind of specialized areas. So on things like pricing or revenue management or even, you know, guest satisfaction, coming up with the right types of surveys, things like that. There can be very specific needs that that you have and you reach out to the experts in it. So I'm hearing four reasons then. So the first reason is from the political standpoint, if you're new, it buys you some time and space to, you know, really look at your organization. The second reason is you're not always getting the right information because you are, you are that, you know, you're, you're the, um, people are, are intimidated to tell you what's really going on. You know, the third is like having somebody sort and organize your ideas and help you bring clarity, you know, like that sounding board. And then it seems like the fourth one is all about like when I have a specific need, then you're going to go look for the specific expert. So if I have a problem related to pricing, I want somebody to have a pricing solution. You know, so you want a consultant who's very specific to if I'm struggling with team and getting my team aligned, you want somebody who can solve that problem for you. But I think you've nailed it. In the first one that you mentioned, I would just also add to that this whole idea of giving you kind of backup for the decisions you've already made. Yeah. So, so well, you know, the consultant agrees with me that we should do this. So then the board, if if things don't go right or whatever, I mean, you have some uh, some back up there to say, well, you know, I wasn't the only one who said this, the consultant agreed with me. But if it's a good board, they're not going to pay much attention to that. They're going to say, I don't care, you're the CEO, you made the decision. But but still, in some cases, it can give you some justification or backup. And a good consultant is not just going to agree with the CEO either. 
I remember w- one of the engagements, uh, for, in my experience as a consultant, whatever the clients always ask me for at the beginning is usually not correct because either they get, they kind of skip from like, all right, we have a problem, here's a solution. And they don't necessarily always know what it is, or it's because they don't always have the data, you know, because like with the other part that you said. And I remember like one of the assignments that we worked on together was for that nonprofit where that, um, that leader had very big visions for like very rapid expansion. And it, I initially you brought me in to help with a strategy session. I'm like, no, 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 I got to wait. You know, like I was going to go in and start doing that. I'm like, no, I got to go do the process. You know, I got to d- incorporate what I know, which is interviewing everybody. And one thing nobody told every n- told this leader is all of his crazy big visions was like burning out the entire staff. And they would all leave if he continued on with this aggressive thing. And I don't think he ever went back to that aggressive thing. You know, is having a consultant who, and I remember giving him that report. He was a great leader. He was the kind of person that I would give him the feedback. He'd take it in, he'd breathe a few seconds, and then he'd like walk around the building for a little while, then came back. It's like, okay, tell me a little bit more. And it's like, okay, let's just keep, we'll do it like that. And thankfully he took that advice, you know, but how, how is it like, what kind of, is it just a, um, something that the consultant can do to be able to share that difficult feedback? How many CEOs actually really want that difficult feedback? This executive really loved it and changed direction. You know, what's your opinion around having that independent point of view and being able to push back with an executive? Is that important? Well, a good CEO is always going to value that very highly. Um, There are going to be other CEOs who are going to say, we'll go back and rethink it and come to my conclusion. And and so uh, and that's one place where it's hard as a consultant as well. You know, how hard do you push it? And and how hard do you tell the emperor that they don't have any clothes? And mm-hmm. so because consultants are also thinking about, well, I want to get invited back. I want to do more projects. So I don't really want to get the person too upset. So it's a fine balance there. But as I say, a, a good CEO should always be listening and then should go out and validate it on his or her own. And, right. and you know. I, I'm a huge believer. You got to get on the front line. You got to so listen in on calls. And you know they're saying we're providing lousy customer service. Well, you know, listen to the recordings on the calls. That's the best way. I tell CEOs go be the receptionist in in, in your organization for a day. You'll learn a lot more than you're going to learn in any kind of staff meetings with your executives. Uh, and, and you're going to find out if you're really doing it well or not, and what people are complaining about and all the rest. So, so yeah, you should definitely validate that and, and be open and admit the weaknesses in your organization. Um, I always like to use the phrase, I can't fix it if I don't know about it. Right. And so I encourage people to come to me and tell me about problems, tell me about issues, you know, don't sweep it under the rug and because I want to be able to fix it. Um, now, frankly, there are other CEOs out there who are, you know, kind of la, 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 I don't want to know about it. And, and those are the ones who usually don't, don't last very long. Uh, but, but the good CEOs are out there testing their organization. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. How is your organization going to reach its full potential? Mm. You got to remove the barriers. You got to find out what's going wrong. You got to fix things. And and uh, you know, in in one of my 
my talks, I, I, uh, I talk about there in back in 2008, believe it or not, in the presidential election, there was a Saturday Night Live actor and and they would set up these, you know, debates and everything. And this actor would come in, he'd say, fix it, fix it, just fix it. <laughs> and and that's what I tell people they're saying to the CEO, fix it, you know, mm -hmm. find out the problem and fix it. And and that's and so if a consultant can help you to find those problems and help you fix them, then that's hugely valuable. So were you at Epcot when we did the Forward the Basics project at Disney? Yes. Yeah. So one of the things that I would say now in retrospect, after we had that conversation five years ago, I evaluated my entire career. And that particular project really highlighted for me like my biggest contribution. And it really wasn't the project plans that I did later. It wasn't all the meetings I led. It was how I got a whole group of executives in operations, all independent, you know, a bunch of cats hurt, you know, trying to herd them. And I got all of them within a week to get on the same page to say, hey, we're willing to get rid of what we're doing at the park level or the resort level or the line of business level and how we're doing the um how we're doing the guests and the cast experience and we're willing to come together and do it all together. And it was because of the stakeholder management stuff that I did. I interviewed every single one of the team members and identified the through line and presented that and everybody bought into it. That to me seems to be the biggest value that I could have ever brought to the table. Um, is that, would you say that that's accurate when I look back at you know, all the different projects I did, all the org design process leadership I did, all the assessment reports that I did, everything that I did, that was more valuable than anything else I've ever done in my career. Well, what I recall very vividly from that was we had a full day work session in one of the large ballrooms at Disney. And we were all at different tables. And I think we were split up by our teams or whatever, but they had given us the, the large stick sticky notes uh you know the full page sticky notes and they said list on here all the initiatives that that you're doing in your organization and then put them up on the wall and so literally by the end of that time you looked across this massive ballroom and it, the entire all the walls were covered with these yellow yellow post-it sheets with all the initiatives that everybody was doing. And, and I don't know if it was you or the executive, whoever in charge said, this is why we aren't accomplishing anything. Mm -hmm. Because we got all these different initiatives going on and nobody knows what's important. No one knows what they should be focused on. It, it's, just, it's just a mess. And, and that was, I think, the huge aha moment for most all of us. And that was where the value came, where it was, okay, let's figure out the basics. Let's figure out the, the things we're going to teach people. And we came down to the four basics and we said, we're all going to be consistent in this. We're going to roll it out and, and across the organization. And, and so it really brought people together. And I mean, people were extremely frustrated because they just were getting bombarded all the time with all these different things. And so basically nothing happened. Right. And so, but, and, but by going to the basics, we all got on the same page. It seems like though, that what 
there's something that you had said to me. Um, I have it on my YouTube channel, actually. I captured you when I ran into you at a restaurant one time. You're like, oh, work with Betsy. She can organize all the different ideas. It seems like ultimately as an executive, you love that you have a partner who can organize all your ideas and say this. And it seems like as a consultant and the value you could create for an organization is like everybody's saying all of these different things and having somebody who could organize it all and say, here, this is what you all are dealing with. It seems like that that framing up is the biggest value that a consultant can actually bring to the table, both at the one-on-one level and at the collective level. I would say so. I, I think, again, that's hugely valuable because then that's something that the executive can communicate easily to the organization. Yeah. Um, it's all about you know communication. And, and that's why companies that have very short, powerful visions and, and are able to, to put that through the entire organization simply and easily where everybody understands that is on the same page can rally around that and know how to act in any given situation. So, so yes, there can be absolutely huge value in that. Uh, it's not easy to do. And it's, I would say in particular, it's not easy to make it specific to the organization. Unfortunately, you see a lot of times with consultants, they come in and and basically they try to apply the same book to every company they're they're working with, right? And and so there's no differentiation. It's very vanilla. It's very, it's not specific. What is our lane? What are we going to be in? And the value of a vision is really it tells you what you're not going to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of times a consultant can add a lot of value by stripping away all the things we're not going to do, like in the example of the basics. Mm-hmm. Here's all the things we're not going to do because we're going to do these things and we're going to do them really well because this is the most important for our strategy, for our future, for our customers, for our employees. And, and somebody who can come in and really strip away the non-essentials and get down to the essence and then be able to communicate simply, that's a lot of value. So some of the things that we've been talking about, about the value that a consultant can bring to the table, are these some of the phraseologies that would have got your attention on so that, uh, like if somebody put that on their website of saying, hey, work with me, what makes me different is I bring this outside perspective. I could help validate your ideas. I could help bring your senior team onto alignment. You know, I could help you, you know, get more clarity in your thoughts so you could clearly see a course of action. Would these kind of marketing phrases like speak to you and make that that consultant stand out compared to others? I think so. And I think when you can actually back it up with examples and 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 I'm not saying a full case study, but for each of the the phrases that you just mentioned, let me give you an example. Let me get, show you how I was able to do this. And 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 then what are the benefits? How does it, how did it pay off in whatever metric you're trying to measure? So obviously financial is going to be very key, but it can also be customer satisfaction, employee retention, things like that too. Yeah. So it's really talking about, you know, the the unique value that you're bringing to the table that the executive doesn't have, and then showing more like illustratively wise, this is how it works out. And here's the results. Here's the outcomes that you could expect because 
you're not going to buy my five-step methodology about whatever. I didn't even realize all these years, you didn't, you never even really cared that I have a master's in OD, like ever, like that doesn't matter. You know, my certifications don't matter. My five-step process, my consulting engagement cycle, none of that matters. It's more along the lines of like, here's the unique things I could do. Here's the val- Here's the story and here's the value. I agree with that. And, and Betsy, I get people all the time who send me emails. I want to be your executive coach. And I'm just like, I have no interest in you being my executive coach. <laughs> I mean, if that's what you're offering, that that adds that adds very little value to me, okay? Because for someone, and I, I don't mean this to sound prideful or anything, but you know, for someone who's had the experience and everything else that I've had, unless you can match that, how are you going to coach me, right? All right. And and so. My coaches, frankly, are other CEOs, you know, and I, we've got a whole kind of group of us and, and I can call them up and say, what do you think about this? Because, you know, they've been on the front lines, they've done these sorts of things. So what I, I'm saying is, if you think as a consultant coming in saying, I'm going to be your executive coach is going to be the answer. I don't think that's going to work. And I don't think you're going to get many takers. What um, if I said, I'm going to be your... Your- your sounding board, your thinking partner. I would say so. But again, it even has to be stronger than that. And it has to be more of the specifics that you were talking about before. Um, Now, I do want to be very clear on this. You know, I'm kind of talking about higher level CEOs and all that. There are some people who just kind of fell into the business world and, and they they're not business experts or anything else. You know, maybe they're creative people or whatever, and, and oftentimes they can, can benefit from, uh, you know, people who have more business experience and things. But if you're really kind of shooting for the people who've been around the block, who have been, you know, pretty experienced, uh, you, you have to up your game an awful lot to really make it attractive to somebody of why they need you and, and what value you're going to add. Because the other thing that they're going to look at like everybody else, time, okay? Why should I spend my time with you uh, as opposed to even more than money? Because typically the money is not as big an issue, it's the time. Mm, that's interesting. How are you going to leverage my time uh, and make it more? Bad? And so to your point earlier, when it's spend a little bit of time with me, I'll synthesize, simplify, improve your communications of how you're going to share your vision with your team. To me, that would be time well spent. Um, but if it's kind of time to teach me about your business and and I'll try to throw in some things to help you or whatever, I'm going to say, look, it, I have to really see the return on my time investment, okay, as a CEO. What's the return on my time investment as opposed to necessarily the return on my monetary investment in you? That's really a powerful distinction because that's really what we're supposed to be there for then is to maximize your time, help you get to where you want to get to faster, better, smarter. And the money thing's not as important. If I say, oh, you're going to get double digit growth. It's like, well, I already know how to do that. But it's like, how are you going to help me get there faster and like with more clarity in my mind and make my time go better? That's very different. Yeah. And and you see, you know, executives will hire people to help on time. And how, what's going to save me time? I mean, you know, you you look at what 
will a CEO typically hire people to do? It's to do any of the things that, uh, I mean, obviously a CEO is going to hire somebody to do their lawn, right? They're going to hire somebody. So, so what are the things that they, and if they can hire somebody and you can come in and, and offer and say, this is how by hiring me, you're going to get more time back to focus on what to you are going to be more important things, then, then that's great. But if you come in and say, well, I want to meet with you every week for four hours and we're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you're probably not going to get a great reception. What about having a coach who has like a specific area? So let's say you're somebody who you're a great CEO, but you're not that great at delivering, you know, the um, town hall kind of speeches that you need to engage your employees. Would you hire a speaking coach for those types of things or a strategist or something? So if you're so if to stand out, if you're an executive coach, don't be a generic executive leadership coach, be an executive leadership coach, maybe for an emerging leader or focus it like that, or take a coaching position where it's like, you're going to train your equip a, an executive in an area, a very specific area that they have may have identified that may be on their growth opportunity, but not be so generic. Absolutely. I that that's completely right. I mean, I, I know of many executives who have hired speech coaches and and speaking and well it's kind of like people who go to do a ted talk you almost always hire someone to help you to to do the ted talk well because people are experts in that so absolutely there are certain distinct areas that that you can focus on but you're exactly right being that kind of generic executive coach and you know come meet with me for a couple hours every week and i'll, I'll give you my wisdom or whatever that's not going to be attractive to too many people. What kind of label would you put on for me on um, what I did for you and helping you organize your thoughts and your ideas and help you streamline the plans? Like what would you call that type of consultant or coach? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know if I could come up with a label immediately off the bat, but but that whole idea of you know taking complex ideas, taking... I mean, I think I said this to you one time, you're somehow able to pick the ideas out of my brain and say them better than I can say them myself. And, and so I don't know what the label for that is exactly, but that's kind of the, what, what you're able to do. And I'll even give you an example during this podcast, when you went through and I was talking about consultants and you said, so here are the four reasons why you want to use a consultant. I mean, you synthesized everything I had said and said, boom, 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 boom. And in something that's memorable and easy to, and, and that's kind of, the, that has a lot of value. Um, you can think about it the other way. Well, so what you're really saying, Brad, is this, and you've synthesized it and made it simple and, and easy for people to remember. So that, that has value. And again, I don't know offhand what I, how I would label that, but I'm sure, but I'm sure you'll, take it right out of my brain and tell me what it should be now, Betsy, right? Um, I'm an executive messaging expert, or I don't know. Like right now, like it's so interesting that you say that because that's the essence of what I do now. Even though I don't consult with organizations, I do brand messaging and positioning now with clients. And that's literally what everybody says. The same skill set is over here. So similar as you are maximizer, always achieving the high potential, no matter where you go. I do the same thing, no matter where I go. 
is I'm always like organizing ideas and, you know, putting some categories around it. So I don't know if it's like a messaging strategist, you know, it would be, you know, I wish I would have known what, what I learned from you back when I was first starting my consulting business, because I might've leaned into that more and saying, you know, work with me and I'm going to help you sort and organize your ideas into some sort of actionable, you know, I'm going to return, I'm going to like create a return on your thinking time, you know, Mm -hmm. return on your messaging time, because that's the stuff that I would want to do. But a lot of people shy away. Like, so that's my superpowers. I don't know if it's everybody else's, you know, are there other strengths? Like I know you lean on our colleague Joni a lot, and I doubt it's just simply because of her products and services. There's something about Joni. What is it about the way she thinks that you've leveraged her time and time again? I, I know you've leveraged her in every role. There's something about what she's bringing to the table that you don't have. What is it about her? Well, in that case, it's a little bit like we talked about earlier, expertise. I mean, she is an expert in uh, multiple areas or she's brought in experts, but you know, revenue management and and packaging, pricing. So that's one area. The whole customer surveying and and their, I mean, she taught me things about, well, the order you ask the questions is going to change the outcome of the survey. Okay. Sure. I never thought about that. Uh, and I just thought we just throw 10 questions on and it doesn't make any difference. And so she has taught me from her different skills, different things that, that it, you know, if I wanted to go out, if I really wanted to get a good survey that gave me accurate information, I would go to her to to do it because there's a whole lot of expertise there that I have no idea and, and no one on my team would likely have. Um, ah, so that's the, the key. Expertise that you don't have in-house. Sure. So if you're a consultant or coach and you're listening in and you want to go after an organization and they already have a team, you're going to be competing with the internal team. But where there's a market opportunity is where you don't have it in-house. So you wouldn't necessarily turn to a consultant to help you with your HR strategy because you probably already have an HR person. But you don't have a full-time like pricing person or revenue person or customer service person. So it's like that's where the opening is. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was at Epcot, for example, I had a communications manager. And and so if a consultant came in and said, I'll be you know, I'll do your communications for you, I'd say, why? I've got a communications manager. So right. you've got to find what they're lacking and and then uh and then fill that gap and obviously do it. I mean, in my current company, we outsource everything we possibly can. Okay. Because I want to, one of the things I've learned over time is only insource the things that, that you can do better than anybody else. And, and so the opportunity for consultants is to be that outsourced service that, that the company needs. I mean, if you look at why do a lot of companies hire uh, consulting firms like McKinsey? Well, they, they don't have a strategic group to to do that kind of work and so they want to bring in a group that you know is expert in it and that has all the the mbas and all the rest because for them to go out and create that it wouldn't make any sense so picking your lane and picking and i i think you're exactly right i mean if you're going out there to find uh different jobs to do being able to say I've looked at your company, I've looked at your organization, 
here are specific things that, that I can bring to you that you don't have today. Um, I did a consulting gig. I was a consultant for a period of time after Hilton. And for example, there was a, a company, um, a theme park company that I consulted for that I did a timeshare project. Okay. Cause they didn't know anything about timeshare. Obviously I'd been in the timeshare industry. So I showed them how they could incorporate timeshare into their offering. Uh, it made perfect sense for them to bring me in to do that because they're not going to go out and hire somebody from the timeshare industry if they don't even know if they're going to go into that industry at the end of the day anyway. So, you know, what do you specifically bring? But, but I went to them and said, I can show you how to do this. And, and cause you're not in it now, but you know, some of your competitors are, and they're doing very well with it. So have you ever thought about that before? And, and did that. So it sounds like if somebody's going to tap into a CEO like you and work with somebody at your level and with your character and the way that you think about things, it seems like the first thing is like what, what motivates you every day. Like I could probably, if I were researching Brad Rocks, I would find your book and I'd read your book and say, okay, Brad's all about maximizing, you know, taking, restoring something to what its fullest potential could be, restoring it from here and taking it over here. That's what motivates him and drives him. And what also he would be looking for is he does not want to have duplicative effort. He wants complementary stuff, people who are gonna help maximize his time. So look at your organization and look at what you already have and what you don't have and where there's like a unique need rather than being this generic person saying, hey, this is what I do, or I just want to help create these workplaces where everybody could show up and do their best work. You'd be like, I think you probably would ignore that message all the way around. Mm -hmm. You know, like that would not spark your interest. But if I said, hey, I could get in there, let me maximize your time, get everybody on the same page faster so that you can accelerate the achievement of your goals in a way where you're clear and give you focus, that might speak to you more. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I think every CEO out there is looking for how to optimize your organization, how to grow your, your business, uh, you know, how to get the most out of your people. I mean, there's, there's a lot of common themes out there. And, and so, but I wouldn't pick all those. I'd pick, you know, some of them and say, this is what I can do for you. Um, this is the problem. I could help you solve. It's not even like, this is what I want to do. This is your problem that I want to help you solve faster, smarter, better. And, and there's so much good information out there. So for example, you could go on Glassdoor and find out what are the companies that have terrible employee engagement and have terrible reviews by their employees and things like that. And you could say, hey, you know, I've looked at this and here's where I can come in and help you to fix this. And specifically. And, and so I would say leverage the information that's out there today on different companies and say, here's what I can do specifically for you, because I've noticed it can be an issue for you. Um, now, if they say we don't really care what the employees think, then you brush. They the may not be a fish. <laughs> And then walk somewhere and say, you're not going to be around anyway, so I probably wouldn't get paid. But, but that's sure. Uh, but I mean, you can take take some of the public information out there and and then use it to your benefit to uh, to figure out what the holes are and how you can go fill them. I think that if I we're going to summarize what we talked about today, it's like first off, 
you know, there's there's something that's very specific about the way you look at leadership and where your leadership comes from. And you're all about service and you're all about optimizing for fullest potential. And a good CEO is going to be looking for something like that, you know, that they're going to actually care about their constituents. They're going to care about the customers. They're going to care about the employees. They're going to care about the whole thing. And they want to do right. And they want to help get help. And if you're a consultant who's going to come alongside, it's you want to help that executive achieve that type of goal in a faster, smarter, better way. You're not there to solve your, you know, sell all your methodologies or your credentials. You're there to come alongside and help the leader themselves, like organize the thoughts and ideas, get the the team on the same page, including the board who might have expectations. Everybody gets on the same page help frame up the problems for the executive so that they could solve it because ultimately they're motivated to solve and look for the unique openings where if they have it on house, they're not going to go to you because otherwise it'll just piss off the person who's in house anyway. It, go for something else. So if you want to have an expertise that that a company won't have, then you might need to go after a smaller company you know, versus a larger. Like Joni wouldn't go to large organizations necessarily that already have a, a robust insights team like we used to have at disney she'd probably go somewhere else mm -hmm. and that seems to be like the secret recipes is there is there anything else that's missing out of this conversation that we just discussed no uh one final thing i'd suggest thinking about is i always like to say the ideal ceo is going, or even executive in general is going to be a strategic thinker and a tactical implementer where they can do both okay unfortunately that's very rare Mm -hmm. So most of the times you're going to find somebody who's the strategic thinker who has the big vision, the big idea, you know, here's what we're going to do and, and, and all that. Or they're going to be the tactical implementer, which is they make the, the trains run on time. And, and, you know, a good example is, is obviously Tim Cook at Apple. Okay. He was the tactical implementer or viewed by everybody as a tactical implementer while Steve Jobs was the big strategic thinker. Now, that a lot of people said, well, Tim Cook's going to fail because he can't do the big thinking like Steve Jobs did. Well, fortunately, he is not. And, and, and he, he's proven he can be both. But oftentimes that's going to be missing. So where I'm heading with this is as you're the consultant looking at it, if you're looking at the CEO or other executives and saying, okay, is this per does this person have both strategic thinking and tactical implementer or one or the other? If they're the strategic thinker, I'll come in and present as the tactical implementer. Right. Right. And if they're the tactical implementer, I'll go in and present as the strategic thinker. And, and so that's a good way to kind of think about the, your overall broad approach. How are you going to go in or how are you going to target specific uh, CEOs or companies that you want to go after? Well, and also be clear, like I'm not a tactical implementer. Whenever I get into the tactical implementation, I start being less effective. I'm more the strategic side. So it would be, I wouldn't necessarily want to flip flop because I'm not necessarily going to be in my zone of genius. And you probably would never hire me as a tactical implementer. You're going to hire me for the strategic stuff. So it's like kind of like know your know yourself and know your audience and be more specific around how you're going after it. And so what you would probably want to do is look for a CEO who's more of a tactical implementer. Yeah. And go off your services as, as the strategic thinker. 
Yeah. Or help them organize or the other way around. But I think it's all about being clear. Like, don't be generic, be clear on who you're targeting, really understand how they tick, what motivates them as a leader, what motivates the organization and really be more precise. Like that's a lot of the work I do as a branding um, branding strategist and a messaging person with my clients is helping them really pinpoint like what's the size organization? What's the makeup of that executive? How would they, and where's the unique opening in the market? And go for those things rather than just trying to be this generic consultant and be all things to all people, you know, because you can't. Maybe that worked for Paul that he could be all things to all people, you know, so he could save some, but that's not going to work from a marketing standpoint in a way to connect with executives. Exactly. Exactly. So is there anything else that you would want to tell me about leadership, about having a surpassing life, anything about consultants, coaches, and I'm just not asking you the right question. I think we've covered most of it, Betsy. Okay. All right. All the wisdom I have to give, I've given you, though. Yay. Uh, Oh, no, but it's been wonderful being with you. And uh, just, I love what you're doing to try to increase the potential or raise the potential for the consultant who you're advising. So that's wonderful. And, And then they can go out and leverage that with all of their clients. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Brad. And for those who are listening, I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in. If today's episode lit a fire in you, please rate and review Enough Already on Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. And if you're looking for your next step, visit me on my website at BetsyJordan.com and it's Betsy Jordan with a Y and you'll learn all about our end-to-end services that are custom designed to accelerate your success. Don't wait, start today.